0: Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, where we talk about video games and everything happening in the industry, episode 225. I'm your host, Jared White. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Dominic Orlando. Praise the sun. Praise the sun. Actually, it's not as always, because we I, you missed maybe the last couple of episodes, maybe the last one. Yeah. I don't exactly remember, but it's, it's good to have like, you back. It's more like usually sometimes. <laughs> yeah, usually most of the time, sometimes. Yeah. Almost always. Uh, Is the official uh, phrasing there. Uh, Yeah, we have a bit of news to cover. A lot of Jeff Grubb stuff. This is the Jeff Grubb Spectacular. Obviously the writer of Adventure Beat who is responsible for a lot of rumors and reports and stuff. If you're familiar with the sports world, he's the Adam Schefter or the Woj Bomb of uh, the gaming world right now. At least this year so far. Been having a lot of stuff come out. Uh, all, he doesn't really report stuff until he has, unless he has concrete information. It's weird, Dom. It's like he's a, a, a respected journalist who takes his job seriously, which is good to see. You know, we have the Jason Triers of the world, but it's good to see some other people rising to the top, which is cool. Um, yeah, got quite a bit of news to get to. you. I guess we'll start with some bummer news in the quickie news rundown, Dom. I hate to say it cause I know you've been looking forward to this game. Deathloop was officially announced to have a delay. It was originally intended to release last year, and then it got pushed to May 21st of this year, and now it's been pushed to September 14th, 2021, a week before my birthday. Um, as someone who was interested in this game, how do you feel about the delay, Dom, and you know, in relation to all the other delays we're getting this year as well?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a bummer, right? I was, I was looking forward to it, but um, it's also not a surprise. I think uh, that's kind of what a lot of people have said, that, you know, this is where we're going to see most of the COVID delays. you know a, It's kind of like a, a staggered reaction to it where like the impact of having to work remotely, um, you know it's kind of kind of hit some months after the fact. And I think this is probably the case here where maybe you know in, in a world without a pandemic that you know this doesn't happen and it maybe even had already come out at this point, who knows. But uh, yeah, whatever they need, I guess you know take take your time. And some interesting comments from Jeff
0: Grubb of Venture VentureBeat, as I mentioned, Imran Khan of Fanbite, and some other people on Twitter, were saying that the thing people need to keep in mind is these delays aren't an issue of work from home specifically, they're an issue of work from home in a pandemic, which I think people need to understand the difference there. Like if you know studios moved to a work from home culture, uh, that wouldn't really affect development as much as everything on top of that with the pandemic, right? Not being able to go places, being, having to quarantine, all that stuff, so it's uh, not the first delay we got this year, probably won't be the last um, I hope it makes 2021 because I could easily see this game getting pushed again Um, but for everyone who's excited for it, I hope it doesn't especially when you consider that the exclusivity window doesn't trigger for this game until it releases. So every delay it sees is another delay in terms of when Xbox gamers will be able to play this game on their platform. Because people forget this is a PlayStation exclusive. So it's kind it's of a like bummer X-Men, for everyone.
1: Delay, yeah.
0: Yeah. The year of backlog, the year of the backlog is what it seems so far. And it'll probably continue. Clear um, so out nice to backlogs. See- it's not nice to see a delay, but it's nice to see a delay that isn't from Warner Brothers Games, because WB Games has been the one on the forefront with uh, Gotham Knights and uh, Hogwarts Legacy and all of their titles. Next up, speaking of Xbox, we got that this was actually covered uh, or t- came out like a week and a half ago, but we didn't do a show last week because some stuff came up. MLB The Show Twenty One Dom is not only coming to Xbox, which you already knew. It's launching into Xbox Game Pass, which is pretty wild. Uh, there's a lot of conjecture over this happening. Um, one thing to keep in mind is the game is being published by the Major League Baseball publishing house on the platform, which kind of clarifies how this is possible. Um, but neither of us were able to react to this when it happened. How do you feel about this uh, You know, PlayStation first-party developed game launching into Xbox Game
1: Pass, Dom? I mean it's weird, right? It's it feels weird, but I don't there's I feel like there's been a lot of I don't know, hyperbole or not hyperbole, but just overreaction and like personalization somehow where this to me is only good, right? This is this is a, a game that was you know, previously very I don't want to say inaccessible, but, you know, it was only on one platform, you know, for past iterations of it. And so now, not only is it on another platform, but it's really cheap and affordable on that platform. And so even though it feels weird, like, because it's a it's developed by a Sony first-party game or studio, right, that it <clears throat> not only is on Xbox, but is um, on Game Pass. It's, it feels weird, but, like, I, I think it's cool. Like, why not, right? I'm sure Sony probably didn't realize... Uh, or maybe they did or just like accepted it, um, that this could happen because it's not a, it's not a great look for them, but that doesn't bother me. Right. I think it's cool that um, <laughs> exactly. more people are going to be able to get to play the game. Right. Um, I'm not into baseball much, but, um, I think it's cool. Well, I'm not a huge baseball
0: guy either, but I'm going to definitely play this because it's launching a game pass. Yeah. But that's the core of, uh, my perspective on this is I don't know a lot of people who are necessarily baseball people. Like, the sport is very popular, sure, but it's nowhere near the NBA, which is nowhere near the NFL. It's easily the third most popular sport in the United States, uh, despite it being like America's pastime, and I do think that this is the MLB... Not the Game Pass thing, but them coming to Xboxes. I do think it's a sport that's kind of suffering from a lack of growth and interest from the younger generation. And I do think they're seeing the tea leaves that they need to do something about that. And having your premier Sports title on one platform just isn't helping at all, really, Uh, as successful as PlayStation is in terms of selling hardware. And I think not only bringing it to Xbox, but launching it into Game Pass, you're getting the sport into the hands of people at a really accessible price. And you're going to likely find people who fall in love with baseball or refall fall in love with baseball after not being interested in it. And I think it's a good move for the sport itself. For PlayStation, obviously, it's a bummer move because from their perspective, because it's like not only did we have to have it come to Xbox, it's launching into Game Pass when we're going to be charging $70 for it to launch, which is a tough pill to swallow. Um, but for everyone else, it's it's awesome. Uh, because PlayStation gamers, they have to get incentivized somehow to show why are we paying $70 for this and what makes us playing on PlayStation better, and I'm assuming there will probably be some DLC or other content that isn't <clears throat> detrimental to the experience, right, that's offered on PlayStation in some capacity. For Xbox, they finally get a premier baseball game again. For the sport of baseball, they have people trying it out and maybe falling in love with the sport. And for baseball fans themselves, they have options on where to play the game or and how to purchase it, so i think it's huge i think it's cool yeah that's a good perspective
1: of uh i hadn't really thought about that yet from the mlb's perspective not just obviously they always want to be bigger but especially because yeah they've kind of been i don't know if it's shrinking but you're right like baseball has uh, been waning in popularity somewhat um so that that's definitely gotta like this is like an easy opportunity for them like something they can do to like yeah get baseball to the front of more people's minds
0: yeah, and you think about, like, not only are there people out there that are like, I like baseball, but not enough to pay $70 for a new game. Right. And then you put it into Game Pass, and it's like, oh, I have Game Pass, I'm going to check it out, you know? And who knows what happens there. And then you maybe get them into the microtransaction parts, which brings in money as well, and it all works out for everyone. So, um, it's funny, quite- that we, we often talked about, you know, will Game Pass ever come to PlayStation, what will happen there? And now we're seeing, <laughs> for the first time, a PlayStation game on an Xbox console via Xbox Game Pass. It's so funny. Um, Like I said, it is awesome. Next up, speaking of more awesome news, Dom, Alan Wake 2... The sequel everyone has wanted to that uh, beloved horror game. According to Jeff Grubb, and this starts our Jeff Grubb rundown. Uh, according to him, Remedy's project that they're working on with uh, with Epic Games. I don't know if you remember, Dom, we had talked about how they formed like a collaboration partnership with Epic Games to like publish their next couple of games or whatever. I think it was like a two game deal. Um, they did it with them. They did it with Play Dead, and they did it with another studio who I can't remember off the top of my head. But apparently one of the games they're working on is a sequel to the cult classic horror title Alan Wake. Um, I'm stoked about this. Obviously, I want Control 2 as soon as possible as well because I love Control. But I've wanted them to return to the world of Alan Wake. We had it teased in Quantum Break and referenced. We had it uh, referenced in the the last DLC for Control. Uh, so it's dope to see this. Uh, what does Alan Wake 2 being in development do for you, Dom? I didn't
1: I didn't hear this um, until just now. Um, oh, well. <laughs> This is great. I feel like I'm that that guy from that meme who's like in the club, and then Osama bin Laden was killed, and all of a sudden I'm super hyped or whatever. Um, that reference might not make sense if you don't know what I'm talking about, but <laughs> no, this is this is great news. Um, the the first one was excellent. I absolutely adored it. Um, and yeah, I really like Control too. But like, I still just got done playing Control, so like, if I got to choose which you know which I want next, I'd be like, you know, set me up with Alan Wake too. My, my friends at Remedy. And I'm pumped. Hi, man, I'm so excited. Great.
0: I'm interested to see where, like, they take a modern horror game, especially with the tech that they're able to throw into control. And I'm just fascinated at what they could do with uh, a second Alan Wake. And, uh, you know, this is probably the only way this game would happen, unfortunately, because we've seen Remedy make great games, and they don't particularly sell well, um, just as a... I don't know, a problem they've had, and then partnering with Epic Games kind of is a, kind of gives them that cushion to be able to tackle this. It's something we've talked about with Xbox acquiring studios and even PlayStation acquiring Insomniac is like, yeah, it sucks that these studios are no longer independent, but that financial support they have allows them to tackle projects that they want to, uh, especially with like Xbox Game Pass, right? We talked about that where these teams can work on smaller projects like Grounded uh, that aren't going to sell through the roof, but allow them to release their creative juices into the world in some capacity. So, Alan Wake, too. I can't wait. Hopefully, it's sooner than later, but I'm still thinking like 2023 at the earliest. But who knows? We'll see. Let's get to the first of our two big stories, Dom. E3 is returning. In some capacity, anyways. So this is from various sources. The event is returning as the Electronic Entertainment Experience. If you're like, that's what I assumed E3 stood for. It used to stand for the Electronic Entertainment Expo. So since they're no longer an expo this year, and they're uh, you know a digital, all digital event, it's an experience. It'll be free to all attendees, which there was some conjecture about charging for stuff and the ESA kind of said no, things will be free. Still some wiggle room there if they might not, if they might have some premium stuff for people to pay, but who knows. For now, it seems like everything's going to be free to people. Uh, the ESA announced in a press release that the conference will take place from June 12th to, to June 15th with the tagline, quote, Game On, unquote. So around that normal time we expect from E3, right, that second week of June, which is pretty dope. And you're wondering, well, yeah, what is it going to be? Are they going to have like three people who we've never heard of come up there and present something? They've already confirmed some partners. They haven't confirmed what exactly they're doing, but we'll get into what Jeff Grubb had to say about that. So their are confirmed partners so far, Dom. Nintendo, Xbox, Capcom, Konami, Ubisoft, Take-Two Interactive, Warner Brothers Games, Coke Media, will all be presenting new products and games at the expo. Now before we get into what Grub has to say about what these companies will show off, just off the bat hearing all those partners, are you surprised that that many people were willing enough to even partner with the SCA this year despite there not being a, you know, an in-person thing and them being able to do their own videos and digital stuff?
1: Yeah, cuz that's just that's basically everybody. You know, every every one of the big players, that's that's the majority of them. So yeah, I'm curious to see like what exactly is this going to look like cuz what's the inse- like why would you know, why would Nintendo bother being a part of this? They could do whatever they wanted. Yeah, so I, so someone like Nintendo could do their own entire, you know, presentation, their own directive, whatever scope they wanted at the same time, or, you know, during the same week. Um I I'm curious to see like what's the motivation for, you know, these big publishers and and players to to be a part of this so yeah it's it's interesting i'm, I'm, I'm anxious to hear more about it well and i'm curious because i haven't
0: actually gone through the analytics and looked at stuff but i wonder if you know we talk about oh yeah well playstation nintendo microsoft can do whatever they want at any point during the year because they'll have eyes on them and we assume people like ubisoft or even take two could do the same thing and get eyes on them but I wonder if most people were wrong in that assumption and these publishers saw that, you know, outside of Microsoft, uh, Nintendo and Sony, that like, yeah, we got a good number of eyes, but it's nowhere near the traffic we see for E3. And I wonder if they saw like, A, it was kind of a kind of a mishmash and trouble kind of setting up our own schedule and setting a date. Yeah, we can make the video ourselves, but all of the other stuff that goes into marketing the event and all that, and it might be easier just to like attach ourselves to something else on top of the fact, like I just said, maybe they do do get more traffic for E3 and despite them being in the news cycle for like eight hours until the next event comes up, maybe that's a good trade off when you lose traffic, even though you own it for like more, more days, right? Who knows, we don't know the analytics behind that. But the fact that they have this many people tells me that there's some reason why they would partner with them. And I doubt the ESA strong-armed them into this. Um, I just wonder if it's an analytics-driven thing where they were like, yeah, last year was need to do our own thing, but there was so many other ramifications we don't think about that it might just be easier to attach yourself to this wagon.
1: And I'd be curious though specifically what, what the ESA brings to the table because even with that, you could still do something this same week you could still you know imitate that same exact thing except what there's not an e3 logo on your presentation or you yeah. have to, to use a different link to get there you know like what if, if sony does a state of play that's really big you know then the day after xbox has a presentation just because sony wasn't a part of e3 proper like you know what what does that mean that's what i'm not understanding i guess from i want to yeah. i'm curious to see what it, what it looks like and what it means
0: well And that's a tough thing because it's like a chicken and egg thing of like, do people get interested in E3 because it's named E3 and they know everybody's going to be there? Or do they get interested because everybody's going to be there, but it just so happens to be labeled E3 and then that's what builds the anticipation for E3, right? And I think it's probably a little bit of column A and column B. Most people know what E3 is in terms of gamers who are going to watch it to begin with, right? Like, they know what E3 is. It's a week-long event where you see a bunch of presentations. And, yeah, Microsoft or Nintendo can put their presentation in that week, but it's not, like, grouped up, so you don't know necessarily if they're both going to be in the same week, right? And we talked about this last year. The reason I missed E3 so much, it wasn't even for the ESA. Like, if Jeff Keighley were to step in and do the Jeff Keighley week or whatever, and he brings everybody together... Uh, when that goes back to your question of then why would they all do it in the same week last year sucked in terms of announcements not the not the stuff that was announced we saw a bunch of dope games but like the summer game mess and like these drawn out things where you see the same trailer at 12 different events and you kind of had to keep track of the schedule that sucked and in my opinion like I said I haven't done the analytics research but I doubt it was like a stellar success I'm pretty sure that maybe people were a little bit upset with the turnout they got for some of that stuff um, and I think at the end of the day, people maybe just want to group up because it's easier. And your question is great for like the Microsofts and Nintendos and Sony's, but a lot of these other people, I kind of just get it. Like, I don't need an explanation. It's like, yeah, they probably just don't want to deal with all of that shit. Uh, forgive my language. Let's just put us in a thing where people will be
1: watching. You know, I don't know. All right, and of course, it's good for the smaller studio. Like that's the, that's the other thing here that, and, that and we yeah. don't always, that, yeah, we don't always consider to kind of selfishly, but um yeah some smaller games that can get you know wedged into you know a microsoft presentation for example and all of a sudden they're getting some visibility they might not have all their right so that's that's the other part that uh makes sense but like that's kind of a separate i guess conversation but yeah
0: your question was on the right track though dom because i have a follow-up here so this is all information from jeff grubb the first one being according to jeff grubb Many companies were planning to hold their summer media presentations during the second week of June with or without the E3 branding, according to a source familiar with the plans. Okay. Yes, you're dead on. I wanted to hold that and surprise you with that because, yeah, according to Jeff Grubb, (laughs) these companies were exactly thinking that. They're like, well, we don't necessarily need E3. We're going to do it in that week, though, because I think it is important. People know when E3 is. I think they care more about when E3 is than the E3 branding, right? So it's like, we'll go second week of June, but who cares? And if the SA is holding it and doing all the marketing and all of that stuff, and it's like if we're doing it that week anyways, let's just attach ourselves to that. Who cares? You know what I mean? It's like a bonus as opposed to like a need at that point.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. That's starting to make more sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I thought that was – I was waiting. When you said that question, I was like, oh, he's going to love this when we get to this point because yeah. you nailed it. Uh, some more from Jeff Grubb's article. Quote, this year, assuming we do not encounter another global crisis by June, Nintendo will return with another full-scale general direct showcase. Microsoft, meanwhile, will package together Xbox and Bethesda into back-to-back showcases with games like Halo and potentially a new Forza and Bethesda's space-faring role-playing adventure, Starfield. Uh, This is interesting. First of all, I'm glad we're getting a Nintendo full-scale direct. I think people have wanted that. I've wanted that. We've kind of been missing out on that. And the Microsoft thing is cool because I do like them splitting Xbox and Bethesda. Though they're all under one umbrella now, we've seen Bethesda has enough to hold their own event. And some people can argue like it doesn't, it could easily be part of something else and it's not the full on showcase that people would want from a publisher. But it being like, you know, Xbox goes first and then they pass the baton over to Bethesda, I think that's awesome because there's a delineation for people who are only interested in Bethesda games. But also because they're combined, each of them gain something from them being back to backward. They don't need to overfill the Xbox show with filler. And Bethesda also doesn't need to have filler, right? What do you think about, uh, both the Nintendo thing and the Xbox Bethesda showcase plans?
1: I mean, yeah, I'm hyped for Nintendo. I mean, there's gotta be more, right? There's gotta be more (laughs) even just for this year. Or even if it's going into next year that they can show us like, there's gotta be more. I'm just excited for it. Um, and it also just now clicked on, clicked in my head that like we're a chunk of the way into April, and so this is actually not that. This is two months away, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> as far as uh, yeah, the as far as the Bethesda stuff, it makes a lot of sense actually. Um, you could have went either way, but like Microsoft has huge shows the last couple years, especially right. Their E3 shows are like tons of content, like two right?
0: hours, and it's like game after game after game.
1: <laughs> yeah and it's great and that's great but i think if you were to just tack on um you know bethesda to that that's even more i don't want to say bloated because it's all good stuff you know but um it might be be exhausting i think would be appropriate it's just a lot yeah exactly and so then it's almost because microsoft's portfolio is so big now just itself not even considering obviously what they're doing with partners but like from their own perspective, it might be good to stretch stuff out. Like they don't want to compete with themselves too much and eat themselves. You know what I mean? So um, it makes sense to have Bethesda split out a little bit. I'm sure that, you know, things will be acknowledged and obviously like they're going to be, they're the same, they're part of the same company now. So it's not like they're going to be totally independent, but um, yeah, I think it makes sense. It's kind of what I expected almost. It just, it, I had considered like, oh, there just won't be a Bethesda conference anymore at all. And then you know, just maybe we'll just you know see a couple Bethesda games littered into the Microsoft um, conference, but that just I don't know, it doesn't feel quite right to me, and I think it kind of takes away from what Bethesda had has built, you know, and they were able to get to this point in, uh, the last couple of years where they were they did have enough going on where they justify their own conference every year, so um, I think Xbox wanted to keep that that momentum that Bethesda had, that Bethesda had going, so I think it makes sense. And every the game that
0: would have been placed into the Xbox show eliminates either an indie or a third-party partnership that we wouldn't see. You know what I mean? So that's kind of a bummer too. So I'm glad that they're kind of separate. Uh, and his last quote here, quote, Digital events are easier to plan and live streams, so expect a lot of companies to continue trying to hold their own. But more major publishers may start holding their own events. Electronic Arts and PlayStation will each have something, but also expect a Square Enix Presents, a Bandai Namco Next, and more. But don't hold your breath that everything will happen around the week of E3. So he's basically saying like, you know, the digital events are easier to plan in livestream, meaning that don't be surprised if other people that aren't currently partnered with E3 attach themselves to it, but in the same breath, don't be surprised if these major publishers, because they want to hold their own events as well, don't do it around E3. Um, Electronic Arts, I think, is the most surprising one that's not attached to E3 already, Dom. PlayStation, I totally get, though I hope they're around June. Uh, And then Square Enix and Bandai Namco, I also totally get. How do you feel about this in terms of, do you hope that these other publishers plan something in June at least? Doesn't need to be that second week, but near it? Or are you like, yeah, just show me when you want to show me stuff. I don't really mind.
1: Yeah, obviously, like, I, I want to see more from Sony. Like I, I, I hope they do a big old state of the play, you know, the first week of June, the last week of June, you know, middle of May. I don't, you know, whatever. Um, I just want it, right? I want to. I want to see more about, you know, Ragnarok and uh, uh, Forbidden West and and so on, right? So like, I. It, it's cool. Like I get like it's fun. Like E3 week and like that's exciting. Um, I'm into that. And, like so if you know, I it'd be cooler if they were like in some kind of proximity to that, to that but if it isn't you know i'll survive i guess i just want to me what matters most is uh seeing what they have going on
0: yeah playstation i'm not too worried about cuz like their most of their state of plays have been pretty good and they know what they're doing the electronic arts thing is like i don't know if most people are going to want to tune in to like mm-hmm. a thing when they know that majority of it's going to be sports games they are not interested in. That's an event where people would just wait till afterwards and then watch the VODs on YouTube. Right. So I don't know if they actually benefit from doing their own presentation unless they separate it, unless it's like, here's our EA sports presentation and then here's your other stuff. Cause that could work. Uh, Cause you'd get all the people who are interested in all the sports games in one. And then you get all the people who are interested in everything else. Even like a Bioware presents would be dope. which it's just for Bioware with their projects. Um, and then Square, excuse me, Square Enix and Bandai Namco, I would almost guarantee we're going to see some of their games at the Xbox thing, right? And especially Bandai Namco and Nintendo. So they'll have some presence during that E3 week, uh, but it might not be all of their games. That's that. E3 is returning. I'm personally excited because I like the condensed nature of things. I I think it works best, best when we have that condensed E3 and then we do have the state of plays and directs throughout the year. Uh, but when we... I, I just really hated last year. I thought it was such a jumbled mess, and it was just such... I don't know. It just kind of ruined the whole spectacle of it for me, uh, if I'm being honest. Um, Let's get to this Xbox Kojima rumbling from Jeff Grubb. This was weird. So this uh, trailer for this game called Abandoned came out. It's this uh, first-person survival strategy horror game. Survival horror, not really strategy. I don't know why I said strategy. Um, The developer on the game doesn't really have a big history. Uh... No one really knew about this game, and it kind of showed up out of nowhere. So people started, as the internet does, thinking, is this the the next Kojima Productions project? And he's kind of like being coy, being secretive, and no one knows what it is. <clears throat> and unfortunately, the developer had to come out and say, like, no, we have no attachment to Kojima. This is nothing. Um, but this allowed Jeff Grubb to write up this report about uh, some news. Obviously, I said it's Xbox plus Kojima. Whatever could that mean? Well, according to Jeff Grubb, there are currently discussions between Xbox and Microsoft and Hideo Hideo Kojima, when it comes to publishing the next game release from Kojima Productions. Here's what Jeff revealed: 1. Kojima is in talks with Microsoft about publishing his next game, according to a source familiar with the matter. 2. Yes, that statue on Phil Spencer's shelf was referencing a potential deal with the legendary developer. I don't know if you remember Don. We talked about the latest like thing that Phil did, yeah. where there was the uh, Lumens guy behind him on his shelf, and people were like, "Is that like a tease that Death Stranding's coming to Game Pass?" Because that had, it was near when like Death Stranding had recently gone to PC. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, Three, I cannot confirm if Xbox closed the deal yet, but my understanding is that Kojima is the focus of a Microsoft plan to leverage Japanese talent. Four, on April 8th, the day we're recording this, kind of funny Games Daily show, Jeff Grubb went on in the show to state it's his understanding that the deal is currently in the lawyer state of development. So they're kind of just hashing out the deal now. Now obviously things can turn sideways, lawyers don't agree deal's not finalized most of the time though when it reaches this state where their lawyers are going over the wording in a deal it's kind of where they reach the finish line um i want to tackle these one by one dom and talk about them individually these points that he brought up so first kojima is in talks with microsoft about publishing his next game according to a source familiar with the matter the interesting thing about his next game is we recently had one of the creative leads of kojima productions tease that the reveal of that next game is soon right uh, i think it was like the lead art director or something i don't remember his name specifically um, I guess what I want you to give your opinion on here, Dom, is like, A, do you, is it is it uh, surprising that Kojima's talking to Microsoft? And B, what do you think this means for Sony's relationship with him in terms of, wouldn't it be most obvious that he just works with them again after Death
1: Stranding? Uh, I mean, I guess, but but why not? You know, like, why not make a game for Xbox too? Maybe... Maybe they offered something uh, that was a little better. I don't know. No, no a larger money check, perhaps. <laughs> e- exactly right, and not to say that and maybe Sony would probably would have matched it even, and that doesn't, you know, like just felt like working with a different publisher, whatever. The, you know what I mean? Um, whatever the reason, um, and maybe there's something specific about you know the series X or something he was wanted to take advantage of. You know, you never know. Um, but no, I think it's, this is cool. This is great. Um, it, I remember when we first heard about um kojima productions like being formed it was like a point of clarification like oh this isn't a sony first party studio though sony's you know uh publishing this this one game and they're like putting some money into it or whatever but they don't own this studio and um you know kojima wanted to remain independent and to me it makes a lot of sense to not get too tied to one publisher to be honest like because it I joked with you and, and Chris about like, well, Death Stranding 2 exclusive to Xbox, but I really doubt that, to be totally honest. I'm guessing this is a brand new IP. And that's yeah. I, that's probably part of what he wanted. Like I want to do something new. And maybe Sony wanted Death Stranding too more, you know, and Xbox was like, Oh yeah, do something new. Heck yeah, bring it here. Like we got you, you know. Um, I think We're it's also something assuming- like that. Like, he has a lot of leverage.
0: Yeah, for sure Like not attaching yourself You can hear the bidders, right? And choose which one has the highest offer Best offer Right and because of his legacy, we're also assuming that everything went well with PlayStation. We don't know that. I'm not saying it was dire or bad, but we don't know if Death Stranding performed they, the way they wanted based on how much they invested in it. Like we don't know exactly what happened. And maybe it's not like a sour situation where he's has a, a you know a bad relationship with them as he does with Konami. But maybe it is like Sony's like, hey, we're gonna chill on this one. Maybe we'll publish one in the future, but we're good for now, kind of thing. We never know. Like
1: he had he had made some kind of like dissenting comments um it was more i can't remember exactly what he said but it, and of course who knows how it translated but it was more in regards to like how critics reviewed death stranding yeah he had some you know complaints about it um the way that and, and maybe maybe it was like also about like just gamers in general and our you know lack of ability to do new things something pretentious or whatever you know. and, he's kojima so it's fine and the thing too that we can't
0: overlook is like my assumption is the Kojima thing kind of got handled when Sean Layden was still the, the man in charge over there, right? And Sean Layden's oh, very personable, point. and Jim Ryan isn't, and Phil Spencer is very personable. So maybe him having discussions with those people, maybe he just j- jives better with Phil Spencer now where he jived with Sean Layden, right? Who knows? Uh, Because there's a lot of stuff going on currently where people are questioning what's going on with Jim Ryan and the leadership of PlayStation. A little gloom and doom hyperbolic stuff, which I don't necessarily agree with. But uh, if you've listened to this podcast, you know I've been sus of uh, Jim Ryan from day one ever since he made those dumb Minecraft comments. But uh, who knows what will happen there. I want to say, too, the other uh, week when... Chris and I were doing the podcast on when we were talking about that story about Kojima Productions and the creative lead teasing that their new game is going to be revealed soon-ish. I made the comment, I was like, how wild, impossibly wild would it be if his next game was an Xbox exclusive? And then this came out, and I was like, that's so funny. It's
1: pretty um, much how it's going to be. Yeah. Well, certainly, if, right?
0: <laughs> if the deal closes, yeah. Uh, the second point we don't really need to touch on, feels really good at teasing stuff, and uh, I think he understands now that he, if he puts something, people are going to expect something from it. And I like that he, now in hindsight, he did put that Lumens figure back there because he knew what could possibly be as opposed to it just being empty, veiled hints that he is trolling people, right? Like even if the deal never came to fruition, we would have eventually probably heard about it falling through, uh, but we would have known that that was a tease towards that, right? Like he actually did it with some purpose, which I appreciate, because he he could just easily troll people and none of it matters, but I like that he's making it a part of his his teases for Xbox, which
1: is cool. Yeah, that kind of stuff is, there's no risk. There's only potential reward, right? Exactly. Maybe they had only just sent the first email from Kojima or something, and he would put that in there. It's like, well, if it never happens, it doesn't matter. But uh, if it does, someone will pull this back up and think it's great, and it'll you know be a little headline or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, low risk, high reward, uh, mm-hmm. because it's just it's fun to look back at. Uh, next up, uh, he said he can't confirm the deal is done yet, but it's the Kojima thing is part of a focus of Microsoft's plan to leverage Japanese talent. This is interesting because he doesn't say to leverage Hideo Kojima's talent or Hideo Kojima's Spotlight or fame or anything like that it specifically says leverage Japanese talent Which leads me to believe Dom that this might not be the only exclusivity deal we see from Microsoft with a Japanese studio, right? If this is if Leveraging Japanese talent seems to me like a core ideology of the Xbox If this is true according to Jeff Grubb is something they're focusing on in multiple branches and to me Elden Ring is not exclusive, we already know that, but I wonder if we eventually hear of them striking a deal with From, because we saw how successful Bloodborne was, and how much it helped out the PS4, along with all of its other great games on the platform, but this to me says, like, don't be surprised if we hear about another exclusive
1: game from a Japanese studio, right? Well, not only that, but I think we tend to focus on, like, exclusives a lot, Um, like, I don't you know, lever like leveraging Japanese talent. I don't think that that like you know just means for exclusives, right? It's just like historically, like there's not even there's not been as much you know uh, Japanese games on Xbox systems, right? Well, so it's uh, like uh, until the last couple of years, right, where he brought the whole Yakuza series over to right. Game
0: Pass. He brought
1: Kingdom That's Hearts. Changing now in a in a big yeah. way, right? Um, but yeah, I think it's just in general. I, I think we focus a lot on the exclusive part of it, but I think. <laughs> I could I have to assume that like sometimes things just don't happen not because not even necessarily because there's some ex- wall of exclusivity that's legally bound, but maybe just because the relationships don't exist like maybe for example, like like persona right like why why isn't that why aren't those games on Xbox like I just I, to me it's hard to imagine that there's some like everlasting exclusivity preventing it. like maybe it's just like a, a relationship just hasn't been developed and so it just hasn't happened yet. Um, yeah, and it, like something could bring it in a, in a multi-platform kind of way just comes to Xbox because of these kind of efforts that Phil's making
0: yeah and to your point lev- leverage doesn't mean exclusivity leverage means leverage right and you can do that in a number of ways the exclusivity is one for sure two it's okay this game's launching on Playstation and Xbox we're getting a game pass day one right that's leverage right. Uh, yep. there, there's plenty of ways to have that leverage uh, timed exclusives a bunch of stuff Content, whatever, but yeah, to your point, it doesn't necessarily mean exclusives, but it does mean a focus on Japanese talent to some capacity, and he's shown it recently. And you know, people make fun of like, oh, those flights to Japan are really paying off, and they are. And who knows, Dom? We're sitting here in June watching the Xbox E Three event, and the Atlas logo comes up, and Persona Five does
1: come to Xbox, right? Who knows? Right, and so that's that's what I'm saying is like, just getting that at all would be leverage would be leveraging Japanese, you know what I mean? Um, Final Fantasy Remake, like that's gotta be, I think that's supposed to be coming soon. We, we, we hope, we assume, right? But yeah.
0: Uh, well, the deal yeah. ended, ends tomorrow, I think for Final Fantasy VII Remake. Right. So after that point, Square can talk about it for PC or Xbox or whatever. So who knows? Um, it's, we talk about, you know, Xbox compared to PlayStation, PlayStation Fantastic Exclusives. Over the last three or four years, Xbox has been nailing software, they've been nailing services in terms of the software for Xbox Game Pass, but they've been lacking on the big primetime exclusives, and the Japanese thing is, as niche as it is, like it's not a huge part of the gaming demographic in terms of sales, Japanese games and uh, primetime exclusives were like the two big weaknesses. We're seeing the acquisition of all these studios trying to fix the exclusive thing, We're seeing the leveraging of Japanese talent with the Yakuza and all of these games coming over to Xbox. I wonder at what point PlayStation is the weaker of the two, not in terms of sales, because obviously the PS5 is going to continue to sell tremendously well, but in terms of overall package, like at what point is it where the the best thing PlayStation has is on par with Xbox, but it's also missing some of this other stuff. And I wonder if that might be the legacy of Jim Ryan at some point where he he rested on his laurels and the company did as a whole and their focus moving from Japan to Western development and a business focus kind of makes them lose the things that kind of separated them in addition to their tremendous exclusives. Right. It's going to be interesting to see how Paul plays out. Who knows?
1: Yeah. It's a, that's, that's like the long play, right? And and maybe it's too much on the short play, but I think like that it's going to be hard to outweigh, um, when you look at, like, oh, wait, even if it's, like, a better value or cheaper, um, it's hard to outweigh just, like, just constant hard-hitting great games. You know what I mean? That's kind of, to me, like, that's always going to kind of reign supreme. And so, like, that that's, like, what ultimately is going to level things off. And it seems like we're, we're on the way there. Like, everything's in place, like, um, with the, the studios that Xbox has formed and the ones they've acquired, um I think that's and what we, really makes the difference.
0: Well, yeah, and with game prices going up too, right? Where the games are going to be seventy dollars, and Xbox is going to be offering their exclusives and Game Pass. Like, who knows where that value ends up riding out for people? Um, I don't know. It's it's a, it's going to be a very interesting generation with a lot of moving parts, and it's. I'm not trying to say like, oh, I want Xbox to be PlayStation, but. Like we talked about numerous times, I feel bad for PlayStation-only gamers, not because they don't get great exclusives, because obviously they get the best in the business, but with everything else, it seems like they're kind of getting shorthanded with a lot of this stuff, because PlayStation doesn't, doesn't feel the need to because they don't need to do this stuff, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't. Uh, Xbox does a lot of things that lose them money, but they do it because it's either the right thing to do or it garners them goodwill, like the adaptive controller, right? They didn't need to do that. They don't earn much money off of that, I doubt. But it was for the betterment of the gaming industry and its consumers in general. And I just wish PlayStation did more of that stuff because I think people who own the console deserve those type of things. That's the bummer. So we'll see what happens. Let's talk about what we've been playing, Dom. Will I continue to sound like a smoker? Let me get some water. Can you please tell me what you've been playing recently?
1: (laughs) so it's all it's it's still only been dark souls 2 man it's still still. um it's been great fun i can add now because i finally um this was the first time i've gone through the dlc um and it was excellent it was for one probably the hardest maybe the hardest or close to the hardest from software content that exists Um, who's the final boss
0: in the dlc i don't remember if i played that dlc
1: well there's there's three and they're really separate so there's not it's not necessarily it's
0: the it's um, the king dude right it's the girl it's like the woman he found that like backstabbed him right
1: uh i don't know about any of that but
0: <laughs> um yeah the king character is that the main game that he's the final boss yeah, like, King
1: Vendrick is in the main game. Um, he and comes the woman, the,
0: the main female boss is the girl, like, he got with her, and then she, like, kind of stabbed him in the back because he found out that she was part of Manus, right? And then...
1: That's the main game, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay, okay. Yeah, because then the final boss... Like, you have to fight Vendrick, but then shortly thereafter, the final boss was the queen, yeah. Um, yeah. Sorry, who are the but...
0: bosses of the DLC? I kind of...
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh... There's one that I've seen a lot, and like, you know, uh, memes or gifts or whatever. This Fume Night guy, and oof, he was a doozy. But um, just the, the levels themselves were just like I think like like there were tougher bosses in Sekiro and Bloodborne and um, things like that. But the for these for two of these DLCs specifically, like a lot of the levels were just brutally tough. Um, but they also were some of the best design levels. Um, and any from software games like better than like the the core dark souls 2 game in a lot of ways but they also did something way different than any other from game they really leaned into puzzle mechanics and like dungeon mechanics it was a, they pulled a lot more out of um zelda dungeons in in these dlcs which is really cool because that was that stuff is like littered throughout a lot of from games but usually it's just small bits right like small environmental puzzles that like oh you you unlock this bridge or kick down this ladder um sometimes like you change the environment in bigger ways uh, in from games but these for these dlc it was more like um like in one for example there's a lot of switches that like manipulate giant physical objects you know in in the dungeon that you know dictate where you can and can't get to and like Oh, the, there's the floor is on the ceiling now. That kind of stuff, um, or you know, everything in this level is frozen um, until you do something else later on, and then you go back and now a lot of the objects and contraptions are now unfrozen. You can interact stuff like that, right? Um, so, it, like that, that it was really great. Like this was all great DLC um, in general. So now I've um, had a lot of fun with that, then had to continue on towards the the platinum pursuit. So I just just actually finished with a whole lot of farming that was not the most fun but um now i'm just another another new game plus playthrough away from locking in this platinum and that uh and i can feel like i can just breathe for a minute so it's been a lot of a lot of hard games lately for me
0: you see so you were talking about the it, the level's feeling better designed than anything in the base game of Dark Souls 2. and Obviously, the base game was directed by a pair of people that weren't Miyazaki, right? So, it was... I knew about Tomohiro Shibuya, but I didn't recognize the name Yui Tanimura. They were co-directors, right, on the base game of Dark Souls 2. But on the DLC, Tomohiro Shibuya is nowhere to be seen, and it's only Yui Tanimura that was the director hmm. for the DLC stuff. So, that's okay. interesting. I wonder, even though they're listed as co-directors, I wonder if the if the base game, maybe Tomohiro Shibuya, had a little bit more say, and that's why the game doesn't feel as well designed as maybe the DLC or obviously the other From games. That was curious. When you mentioned that, I was like, hmm, I wonder if the DLC was directed by the same person. It, technically, yeah, but it's missing
1: one of the two um, co-directors. So I thought that was it's, an interesting commitment. It definitely has a different feel to it. Like when you start, when you get into the DLC... Immediately, my mind was like, okay, whoever like created this DLC was a way bigger fan of the Legend of Zelda games it, than who created the rest of the Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah, and
0: the interesting thing, too, is Miyazaki served as a supervisor for the base game, and I wonder if he kind of, like, maybe strong-armed his supervision a little bit more in the DLC, you know? Or if it was the opposite, and maybe he was, he was like, you want to try something different, and maybe the uh yui tanimura was the one that liked a lot more of the puzzle aspects because even the base game of dark souls 2 has more puzzle elements than a lot of the other dark souls games so i wonder if maybe those aspects of the game were his influence but the overall design stuff maybe was the other you know director and then with the dlc he kind of was able to like show his muscle in terms of doing puzzle stuff
1: who knows that's that's more the the vibe i got right so in in the base game if you remember there's those um pharaoh's contraptions right basically you oh, just yeah. shove a little block and then something changes in the environment and there are a lot of those in the base game but like that concept or that kind of idea way way more heavily used in the dlc so it, i think it's like kind of like what you said like someone maybe like got let off the, the reins a little bit and just really dove into that part of it um and I, I really liked it it was really cool it was much different than any of the than like what most of the other From Software games have going on. So I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Awesome. Uh, do you think
0: when Elden Ring comes out, do you think you'll immediately try to hunt down that plot, or do you think it'll be a type of situation where when you finish it, you'll want a breather and maybe a year or so later you'll come
1: back for that plot? It will be immediate, but for something like that, what I like to do. Um, So whereas, like, Dark Souls 2, going through now, I've already played it before, I kind of went through having, you know, parsed through a a trophy guide, right, to kind of make sure I do things in the most efficient manner. Um, And that's not always, like, the most fun, natural way, necessarily, to play a game, right? So, Especially for the first time. Exactly. And so that's where I draw the distinction. It's like, okay, well, Elden Ring is going to be, for one, it's going to be brand new. So, like, this trophy guide won't even exist yet, right? Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they get those out pretty quick, but not quick enough, right? So, um, yeah, I, I'm going to definitely let the first playthrough be totally natural, whatever I'm feeling, you know, without much influence, figure things out on your own, or do, like, the kind of cool community thing, or someone, you know, on forums, or people are like, oh, I did this, and it worked out this way, and you're kind of learning stuff, um, like, in real time, like, that's always fun, but then after that, you know, once I'm into the second playthrough, then I'll, you know, take a more serious look at what, what trophies I got left, how do we get them, and then we'll, then we'll figure out how to get that platinum. Because it will happen, but not not in like the most efficient manner possible that sometimes I take. So you
0: said you're taking a break from difficult games, obviously. We're in April. Uh, we're heading towards, obviously I know you're not a baseball guy, so be the show's a no-go. What are your thoughts on, are you going to hop
1: into Returnal next when it comes out at the end of the month? Ooh, yeah. So it's that. Um, I have a strong eye on that, see how that looks because it's it's looked promising so far but i'm not typically big on like the roguelite stuff um so we'll see i just want i just want to see some reviews for it um and see some you know longer gameplay for that but um that's that's next on the list especially as far as new stuff because it's kind of sparse but uh plenty in the backlog still too so uh and what about
0: it's not this month it's next month uh what about uh, Resident Evil Village? That's May. Yeah, beginning yeah. of May. It's first week of May.
1: Yeah, I'll be there uh, immediately for that. That without a question. I'm, awesome. I'm very um, very excited for that. That's like I forgot all <laughs> about it, but that's you know that's top of the list. Like I'm hype on that.
0: Me too. In terms of what I've been playing, I recently hopped back into Apex Legends. I'm still playing Warzone and all the other stuff, but um. They recently announced that the next season of Apex Legends is going to feature a lot of Titanfall influence. I love mm-hmm. Titanfall one and two. Obviously, Apex Legends takes place in the same universe, um, but it doesn't have the tie-ins. It doesn't have the you know similar guns. It's kind of its own thing, existing in the world of Titanfall. And them announcing that it's going to have a huge influence of Titanfall, I'm like, we're probably not getting Titanfall three if ever. Uh, so I'm I kind of wanted to hop in get familiar. So by the time. Uh, season 9 starts in May, I'll be acclimated with the game again. I'm not stumbling around like an idiot. Uh, I will say, like, Apex Legends and Warzone are both fantastic. Hopping into Apex Legends, I forgot how fluid uh, the movement is in that game. It just feels so good. And the the guns feel fantastic, but so they do they do as well in Call of Duty Warzone. It, it's just a different vibe, and they've had multiple maps, whereas Warzone's had the same map for a year, and that's kind of waiting on people. People are waiting for the next Warzone map, which is supposed to drop in, you know, weeks to months, um, and it's getting stale because people want something new, and people aren't necessarily wanting the Fortnite thing where, like, the map changes every 30 days, right, or they add something new, but they want something more immediate than once a year and apex legends has kind of found that sweet spot where every maybe five to six months they either introduce a new map or they uh retool like sections of the map um, So they found that nice middle ground there and uh yeah having a blast with that the other thing i've dipped my toes into thanks to the power of xbox game pass outriders obviously oh, really? outriders came out square enix's new uh games of service that isn't a games of service so what i'll say is from the story and, uh, voice acting, it's generic, the video game. It feels like it was ripped out of, like, 2008. Like, All it's right. just a v- video game-ass video game. There's nothing special to write home about that. I've After trying it out for the first, like, 20 to 30 minutes, I've just skipped through every line of dialogue and everything because it's so corny and cringy and basic or, you know, typical sci-fi laissez-faire stuff. Boy. Gameplay is... Huh?
1: I was gonna say and then
0: but uh the gameplay is fun. It's a fun game. Okay. The shooting mechanics are, are are good. I wouldn't say they're great and I wouldn't say they're bad. Uh they're they're good. Uh the, the hook of the game is that you choose a class at the beginning. Uh, you know, one has to do with like sniping and turrets, another one is like up close fire attacks and um in each of those classes it's like okay, the sniper class obviously your range, the fire attack, you're kinda of mid-range. And there's another one where it's like shotguns in close range and you're melee killing people. Uh, you don't gain health back normally like in most shooters where if you wait a bit of time, your health automatically regenerates. Mm-hmm. You have to be active. So it's kind of like Bloodborne in that way where it kind of rewards aggressive play. So like for the fire character, if you burn people to death, you gain health back that way and every character has their own thing. Um it's fun to play alone, which is always a thing I looked for in games of service titles as if I feel fulfilled without playing with friends. Um, as an interesting scaling system where you can move things back and forth actively and it doesn't like call you out for it and doesn't make you feel bad and it just it it works dynamically that way the tier level of the world. I don't know how much longer I'm going to play it. It feels really generic. Like the gameplay is cool and all, but with so many other games i want to play i don't know if i can just have my hooks in a thing where i'm trying to get better and better loot without being attached to it and i know you're saying jared but you talk about adventures all the time it's like yeah avengers has an avengers skin on it like i like playing right. with those characters the voice acting is leaps and bounds better than outriders yeah. you have some of the best voice actors in the industry I'm guessing and
1: the story is too
0: Exactly. The single-player campaign, I would recommend anybody play that for the Avengers. Multiplayer, obviously there's some stuff going on there. But, like, it's just not enough for me. It's just not. Um, something like The Division, the gunplay is way better than Outrider. So even though I'm not fully invested in the world, I'd give that more of a chance. Whereas this is, like, the story isn't really engaging. The gameplay is good, not great. And I don't have enough friends to be interested in this to justify it. Like... Say I had a couple of friends down they're like they have Game Pass and okay, let's just play Outriders. I'd be down to play for you know at least a couple of weeks in terms of like you know a couple of nights a week hopping in, having fun, just shooting stuff, killing stuff. Cool. I just don't have that, so there's not enough there for me to continue playing it. Is it a bad game? No. Is it a great game? No. It's just a game, and that's good for some times and some people and stuff. It's just like I'm not looking for just a game to play. You know what I mean? as i hope that doesn't sound as harsh as i feel it sounds
1: but uh yeah no i i get the vibe too i want because i watched a little bit of gameplay and i'm I'm thinking like yeah this looks fun like this could be cool but like if i'm gonna play a game like that i'm like first of all i'd be closer to to avengers because that's at least like enough characters that i'm you know familiar enough with and uh a story, I'll even I'll be able to connect to better than you know, like kind of a generic sci-fi business. It's sort of the same thing where I never like got too much into Destiny. It's like if you're not gonna do much story, then you at least have to have like a skin that's cool that I like, you know. So, and as vague
0: um, as Destiny's story is, it's actually more coherent than this, even though they put so many
1: cutscenes and lines of dialogue in this damn game. <laughs> it's like, yeah, and so like a lot of, every time one of these games comes up, I. I kind of go through that cycle of like, well, this looks fun. I'm going to try this out. I'm like, No, if I'm going to – if I was going to play a game a games a service game like this, it would be something like Destiny that controls and feels way better. And I'm like, yeah, but if I was going to play Destiny, then I'd rather just play Avengers because it's going to be that same kind of repetitive – I don't know if that's the right word, but like that you – know, Yeah, repetitive. A, that's right. You're in yeah. a big room killing a lot of enemies for a while, right? But at um, least you get I'm, a coherent, engaging, interesting campaign with Avengers, right? Yeah, exactly. So. With cool characters and stuff. And that's why I'm really looking forward to uh if if we get a Star Wars version of this, then I'm going to be in almost no matter what. Like that would be the game's. Oh, that's service. your that hook. Gets...
0: right? That's your in. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. Avengers is close. Um, you know, but Star Wars is going to be like, well, okay, well, I'll be in on that. Right. Man,
0: if that if that game were to exist and comes out and it has crossplay, we got to we're going to have to play that together.
1: No, definitely, that'd be so dope. Uh, it it, finally it won't get you
0: <laughs> yeah he's worried about kids playing a game where you kill uh nazi variants in space he doesn't want kids to play with other people in that uh that's pretty much it for this week um yeah i didn't play much I'm interested to see where dom and i land on playing things next week where we talked about the death loop delay man it's a weird year like I want to play a lot of my backlog, but then we have like Resident Evil on the way, so I'm going to see what other smaller games I can tackle in between then, because I want to play Resident Evil Day 1, because we kind of have been so starved with uh, major game releases that we're interested in, I know some people have had some games that they've really enjoyed, Um, but with E3 returning, I'm excited for what this year holds, um, and we'll see what happens. We'll catch you guys next week. Hopefully, there's some news around the table. Maybe we get some updates on Final Fantasy VII Remake coming to Xbox and PC. But until then, we'll catch you guys next time. Please follow us on YouTube. Uh, you know, Search Controlled Interest will pop right up. Hit the like button if you like the video. Hit subscribe if you enjoy it. Comment, let us know what you think of E3 coming back. Uh, how do you feel about Outriders and games that are just games? Um in terms of Twitter, you can follow Dom at Dom Zorios. You can follow me at Jared Weich, that's J-E-R-R-A-D-W-Y-C-H-E. You can follow us collectively at controlled interest, which is at C T R L I N T. It's controlled interest abbreviated. We're on Instagram, controlled interest, so if you that's your preferred social media platform over Twitter. Uh, And listen to us on Spotify. That's my preferred podcast listening space. I think it's really great. I recently got a new desktop update for Spotify, which makes it run and feel a lot smoother. So uh, search controlled interests on there and we'll pop right up as well. Until next time, you'll see Dom and I likely next week. Bye.